Amen. Well, welcome, Southfield. I'm glad you're here this morning. This morning, Dennis is going to wrap up our first series with his final message. We started with start or restart, um, making a relationship or rekindling that relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Then we went on to commit to connect, making sure that we made relationships with other people important in our lives. Last week was fight to be fit. I hope you had a great week. I hope you're receiving the emails and able to be challenged and encouraged on your on your walk and on your pursuing of God. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure what kind of week you had. And I know some of you have had a really rough week. And it may be hard to bring praise before God. And it may be hard to smile this morning. But you can be sure that you can find comfort in God. You can find comfort in His presence. And know that there's a peace and a joy that He will bring to you when you're standing before you, before Him. Last week we introduced a new song and it was Narrow Road. This morning we're going to sing it again. And I just, I want you to sing with. I want you to listen to those words. I want you to make it your song and your prayer to God. Dear Heavenly Father, our desire, our deepest desire is to know you more. Lord, we want to know you. We want to be close to you, Father. And when we look in the mirror, Lord, we want to see your image on our lives. So, Lord, speak to us today, Lord God. Open our eyes to see things, Lord Jesus, that you see we can change in our lives with your help. And remind us that it's not impossible. Change is not impossible with you. But, God, you can do it. And if we stay in you, Lord, you will make us to be more like you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, it's good to see you today. My name is Dennis. I'm glad you came to spend the morning with us at Southfield. As you walked in today, you received a folder. Uh, we appreciate it if you take the time to read that so you can know what's going on uh, around, our, around our church, uh, with our church family. On the inside, there's a card, and it says Southfield Church on it. You see a place there to go ahead and put your name on that card. And if you do that, we'd appreciate it. If this is your first time with us, you can put as much information on the card as you want. Uh, We do want you to know that if you go ahead and put your address on there, there's a a gift that we want to send you as our way of saying uh, thanks for investing your morning with us. This morning, we get the opportunity to um, share in a a baby dedication. And a dedication is uh, an opportunity not to not to bring salvation to a child. Every one of us have to make that decision our own. We have to come to a place in our life that we trust in Jesus as our forgiven, our leader. But parents have a responsibility to create an environment where a child has the possibility of coming to know Christ, where they hear the teachings of Jesus and they see the teachings of Jesus lived. So this morning, uh, Daryl and Christina Belshan are bringing their daughter, Evelyn, uh, Emmelyn, sorry, <laughs> See, you shouldn't have done that. That's so funny. Told me it was pronounced like Evelyn, and now I've got Evelyn on the brain. Carter's coming as well, and Holly, why don't you all come on up? Holly, Christina's sister, as well as Christina, who's a friend. Crystal, sorry. Why well, spelled it Christy? <laughs> oh, you're not the only one. <laughs> oh, dedications are, are a great opportunity um, for us as a family to be reminded of the responsibility that we all share as a church for raising a child. When we have child care during a service, 
or times for our younger children or our junior hires to learn. We don't do that because we want them out of the service so that they don't make noise. We want them to have an opportunity as a church family to come to know Christ. So there's a very real sense today that the Belshans have their daughter here today in a recognition that we're all as a family helping to have an opportunity for Emmeline to come to a day that she'll trust in Jesus as her forgiver and leader. I will tell you that with these spotlights, I want to cry every week. So I get it. It makes perfect sense to me. Moses said, listen, O Israel. Can I modify that a little bit? Listen, O church. The Lord our God. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And you must commit yourselves. There's that word. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. When you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up, tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. <laughs> Crying isn't fun, is it? Hey, you've already got one child, so you know the routine with babies. They um, make noise, they can be challenging. And uh, they get even more challenging, believe it or not, the older they get. One of the challenges I promise you you will have along the way is a three-letter word that makes me crazy, especially when kids are younger. Why? 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 Kids will ask why all day long. And as parents who want to raise our children to love Jesus, we need to realize that it's not enough to tell our kids what. It's one thing to tell them what they should do. But I think a lot of kids get off the road of faith because a parent didn't take the time to tell them the why behind the what. Why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way we do? So on a day when Emmeline's a little bit quieter and has a chance to listen to you, you might want to take the time not just to say, this is what we do as a family who's dedicated to Jesus, but this is why. Gee, should I try holding her? What do you think? Just raise the temperature. How about this? Oh, it's okay. It really is. I promise. It's not too scary a place. We're going to pray. You can keep your eyes open. Emlyn, we pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. That he'll make his face to shine on you and that he'll give you peace. Now and all through your life. We pray that you'll come to a place of peace where you trust in Jesus as your forgiver and leader. I pray for your mommy and daddy. I know they love Jesus and I know they love you. And I pray that they'll continue to be a great example to you, not just of what you're supposed to do as a Christ follower, but why. And that you'll grow into a lady that loves Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you did great. This is wonderful. Thanks a lot. Congratulations. <clears throat> oh, they're always unpredictable, you know. You never, never know, but they're fun. 
It is January 29th. Can you believe it? January 29th, 2012. Wasn't it about 36 hours ago that we were sitting in the warehouse celebrating a new year? 29 days have already passed in this year. It's gone. We can't get them back. The month is gone. One month of this year is past. You kind of look and go, wow, where did it go? I mean, I know it was warm. I did a few fun things along the way, but boom, it's gone. Which is part of the reason we opted for pursuing this series that we called First. Because we recognize that sometimes life just gets lived on autopilot. We just kind of, we go through it. Day after day after day passes, and one day we wake up and we go, what happened to the month? What, what have I been doing with my life? Have I been living it at all purposely, or have I just been going through the routine, going through the motions, and I'm missing it along the way? We've been looking at the verse, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. I've been preparing for uh, a journey group that I'm going to be leading called Balancing Life's Demands. And one of the resources I've been reading is a little book called Eat That Frog. The subtitle is 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time. When I read the introduction to the book, I thought, wow, this guy has been sitting in church every Sunday of this series. He says, it's a wonderful time to be alive There have never been more possibilities and opportunities for you to achieve more of your goals that exist today. As perhaps never before in human history, you are actually drowning in options. In fact, there are so many good things that you can do that your ability to decide among them may be the critical determinant of what you accomplish in life. If you're like most people today, you are overwhelmed with too much to do, And too little time. As you struggle to get caught up, new tasks and responsibilities just keep rolling in like the waves of the ocean. Now, I love this part. It's very encouraging. Because of this, you will never be able to do everything you want to do. You will never be caught up. You will always be behind some of your tasks and responsibilities, and probably many of them. You feel relieved, don't you? For this reason, and perhaps more than ever before, your ability to select the most important tasks at each moment is vital. And then to get started on that task and get it done both quickly and well will probably have more of an impact on your success than any other quality or skill that you develop. What we've been saying all along is that in a world of so many choices, we have to develop the wisdom to be able to choose what comes first. You've got to be wise enough to know what matters and what you can put to the side. And it's not so much that there are good things and bad things in the world. That's very true. But there are lots of good things. So a lot of times it's not just that we're choosing between the good and the bad, but honestly we're choosing between the good and the good. And they the wisdom to be able to know the difference. Dane already reviewed some of where we've been. And let me just remind you again of all the first things that we talk about. Relationship with God is vital. You can do all the other things we've talked about. They're, they're excellent. They're biblical. And they need to be pursued. But if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're just going through the motions of life. 
And if your relationship has grown stale, if it's grown cold, you need to rekindle it. Make that a priority of this year. Get in a right place with God. This past week of this month of January has been an unusual week. All week long, it seems I'm getting texts and phone calls about family members who are no longer in this life. Very early in the week, Scott and Brett Berkman lost their father, who had had dementia for 12 years and finally succumbed to pneumonia. And then midweek, Lorraine Seaman let us know that, that her stepdad died of, of lung cancer and bone cancer. And in the middle of the week, Mark Bagwin and his family discovered their mom unconscious, a massive stroke, home to be with the Lord. And even since then, there have been other people that have said, yeah, I know someone who had a family member die, someone else who's no longer part of this life. So many different uh, seasons of loss for people. And there's a thing about death and about a funeral that I truly appreciate. Like I said, we can live every day of life and just go through the motions of it. But when death comes, when we're at a funeral staring at someone we love, we brush right up against the edge of eternity. No matter what you've been doing with your life, all of a sudden, boom, you zero in and you realize uh, life, we're mortal. We're going to die. Something happens after this. Something important. And we thought we were doing the important thing in life, but all of a sudden, zoom, we're right up against the edge of it. There it is. My daughter, not too long ago, got me to watch the series Lost. I'm great at not watching series while they're happening. I, I always wait until way later. So, so she got me going on this thing. I have determined I'm not going to try to explain it to you. I think the reason they called it lost is because the audience would be. So I'm not sure where the people are, and I'm not sure what happened. But it was entertaining nonetheless. Final couple of episodes. There's this, there's this phenomenon happening that's really interesting. These people who are not where they're supposed to be, and I don't know where they are, but anyway, they're there, are really confused about where they were. And everybody that they come in contact with from where they were, they'll come in contact with them, and all of a sudden they have this series of images, boom, 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 really flash fast of where they were. Are you getting this? So anyway, they have this moment where they go, boom, I remember something. That's what coming in contact with a funeral or a death is like. All of a sudden we go, I realize that there's something else, that there's something I've been missing, that there's something that's been going on. And I've just been I've just been making beds and washing dishes and going to work and doing the routine. And I forgot that there's something very real in life. And it's going to happen to all of us. It's right there. Moses wrote a psalm. Great leader in the Bible. He's kind of the rock star of the first four of the first five books of the Bible. He wrote a psalm, and you think, well, I thought David wrote the Psalms. Not all the Psalms were written by David. One of the most beautiful is Psalm 90, and it's written by Moses. A man who had seen a lot of life. A man who, because of what God did in the nation, he is now one of the oldest people in the group, and he has no peers. And he writes these words Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. 
You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are like a passing day, as brief as the few night hours. You sweep people away like a dream that disappears. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. And then he goes on to talk about the effects that our, ha- our sins have on our relationship with God and, and what happens in that. And, and then he goes on to say, 70 years are given to all of us. Some even live to be 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Verse 12 is a real key to everything that we're reading here. He says, teach us. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to realize just how short life is so that we may grow in wisdom. I have it in a laminated card. I actually keep it near my desk because it's a, it's, it's a psalm that I always want to be focused on. I want to remember the brevity of life. I want to live with a constant consciousness that this isn't all there is. You think, well, Dennis, that's pretty stinking morbid. No, it's biblical. It's biblical to be constantly reminded that we don't get a lot of days. And I know when you guys, when kids, you hear that a 60-year-old died, you go, man, like ancient, you know. And we're going, that's a child. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. That's the reason, so that we can become wise. Wisdom is not just knowing the right things, but knowing what to do with the things we know. Knowing how to live right. What is he saying? Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we'll know what comes first. So that we'll know what's important and we will pursue what's important and we'll throw aside the things that aren't. So here's your final first for this January. We need to think finish line. We need to be people who live in constant consciousness of the fact that there is a finish line in life. And we want to always have that in mind. I was in a sermon, listening to a sermon once, and the person presenting asked a question that was incredibly entrapping. I didn't realize it at the time. They said, if you only had six months to live, what would you change? And my mind started to race. I mean, boom, 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 these are all the things I do. And, and it didn't, it wasn't very long that this, you know, I'm thinking all this stuff, boom, 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 it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And the speaker says, technically the answer is I wouldn't change a thing. You should be living as if you only have six months to live. How do you know you don't? How do you know that this isn't it? We should be living in such a way that we've got our eyes on the finish line. If 2012 is the last year God gives you here on earth, how are you going to live it? What kind of parent are you going to be? What kind of spouse are you going to be if the finish line is that close? What would your idle hours look like? No, not American Idol. I-D-L-E hours. What would your idle hour, maybe your I-D-L-E hours look like American Idol, but anyway, what would your idle hours look like? What would you do with your spare time? Again, I know that you're thinking this sounds a little bit morbid. No, it's not morbid. It's wise. It's wise to be asking the question, if this were it, what should I be doing? 
finished line thinking is part of the way that we develop the wisdom to know what we should pursue first. Repeatedly, the Bible tells us to keep in mind the brevity of life. Our days are short. We don't have many. The Bible also refers to life as a race. Uh, There are people in the room that have run races. I run. I've not run a race. I've run. I, you know, jog, whatever. But, But if you've run a race, I'll guarantee you, you are a person who's able to draw some clear spiritual parallels between the preparation and process of racing and what happens in life, how life is lived. Over and over again, the Bible uses the concept of running and racing and finishing well as ways to speak of how we're supposed to live our lives, how we're supposed to number our days and think in terms of life being brief. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is one of the classic passages that uses this running analogy. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. It's as if Jesus has the word finish line painted on his chest. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We're focused on him. The champion who initiated And perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Jesus is the finish line that we've got our eyes focused on. Who he is, living like him, being like him, doing what he desires. We call him our, our leader. We are his followers. We keep our eyes fixed, focused on Jesus, on the finish line. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is explore finish line thinking. How does it work? What does it look like? If I'm going to be a finish line thinker and use this effectively, how does it work? What are the pieces of it? How will it help us? I came across this image this week. I don't know if you saw it as well. Uh, Apparently, Michigan celebrated a birthday this past week, 175 years Founded in 1837, Andrew Jackson signed it into law. Michigan exists. There it is. 26th state in the Union. This is a really beautiful picture. I mean, if you can get it onto a computer screen, just stare at it. My, my image of Michigan is a little bit different than the one that's here. For me, in my image, uh, the top of the mitten is a little smoother. I didn't realize that it was so, so jagged up along the top. I thought the thumb was a little longer. I didn't realize the thumb was quite so stumpy. I, just getting this image and looking at this picture of Michigan was fascinating. And then I started to look at it and think about my relationship to different times in this state. I go down to that, that bottom left-hand corner there along the lake, and we've spent countless hours playing in the sand on those dunes. I go up to the top. One of the best vacations of my life. I go to the very top and cross a bridge and go to the UP and on over into Wisconsin. I look at it on the, on the Lake Michigan side about a third of the way up and I realize I, I have a friend this morning who's preaching in the church where he pastors. And I go to the middle of the state and there's a friend over there that pastors as well. And I go over down by the thumb and that's where I went one day to pick up the sound system that was over there to bring it back to this church. All this stuff going on with that picture getting kind of a, a bird's eye view. Because, see, this is, this is what finish line thinking is all about. You see the big picture. You get a view of, of the big picture, the whole race, beginning, end, middle, preparation, the whole race 
A person who has finish line thinking sees the big picture. If you talk to someone who runs, they don't just talk about the finish line. They talk about the hours of preparation they put in. They talk about the meals that they eat the days before, the way they train. They talk about the way they're going to start the race. They talk about the pace that they're going to take along in the race. They know how much energy they should have used. They know that by the time they want, they hit the finish line, they don't want to be able to burst at the end because they want to have used every ounce of their energy all the way along the way. They have a big picture view of the entire race. That's what finish line thinking will do for you. It helps you to see the whole picture of your life and not just live it in a mundane fashion. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ. He's saying, hey, since you're a Christ follower, you're in. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. I love that translation. On the realities of heaven. Again, just like Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus. This is saying, fix your eyes on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Get your eyes on the right thing. Get your eyes on the big picture, on what really matters. For you died to this life. And your real life, I love that part, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Big picture. If you're going to be a finish line thinker, you're thinking about the whole race. The way you're running it making sure you're using your energy well, you've got your eyes fixed on the whole thing, start to finish and everything in between. Here's your second image. I love this. Rear view mirror covered with frost and a spider web. If this person doesn't clean this off, they're going to have some driving challenges as they head on out to work or shop or whatever they plan to do in their car. But it's a reminder to us that in life, we need to break the rear view mirrors off our car. Kick They need to go away. Because if you're going to run, if you're going to have finish line thinking, you're facing forward. You keep your eyes facing forward. For exercise sake, have any of you ever run backward? Go ahead, raise your hand. It's all right. It's good exercise. It really is. You want to run a race that way? It gives you a slight disadvantage. Now, for one thing, you can't see what's going on around you. You can't run as fast. It's not that you couldn't do it. You'd hit the finish line long after the race is done, I promise, maybe days after. When we keep our eyes fixed backward, we're not using finish line thinking. Backward, backward looking, facing backward, often when you're running the race of life, involves regret. It involves thinking about all the woulda, couldas, and shouldas in life. If I'd have gone to this school instead of that school, if I'd have married this person instead of that person, if I hadn't spent the first 10 years of my adult life drunk, and we go through all these things and think, if this would have been different, then that would have been different. If I'd have had different parents, if I'd have lived in a different town, if this, if that, if the other thing. And sometime, I don't know, sometime around 50, it's time to say, okay, get over it, move on. No, actually a lot earlier than that. But too many of us live our life just running backward. Looking at all the regrets and saying, man, if, if that would have changed, I could have had that. And if this were different, I could have had that. we got to get our eyes 
on the finish line and say, you know what, what's done is done. I'm not saying there's not a place for taking an accounting of our actions. I'm not saying there's not a place for remorse. I'm not saying there's not a place for making things up to people. But after a while, you've got to say, get your eyes on the finish line and run. Because you're not going to get anything done if you're always looking backward. Again, the words of Paul. No, dear brothers and sisters, in Philippians 3, 13 to 15, I have not received, achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I forget what is in the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. We've mentioned this verse many times before. Paul has a mountain of things over which he could stare back and say, if I'd have done this differently... If I would have lived differently, if I hadn't done this. And he says, I can't, I can't stare at that. God has forgiven me. I've tried to work out the situation with people the best I can. And now it is time to get my eyes on the finish line and run. Because running backward is not finish line thinking. So, you're, you're thinking big picture. Your face is forward. Let me give you the third one. This is what I look like when I run. Sleek, zoom, go, man, run. feel like having a Dave Ramsey screeching moment, but I'll leave it alone. What I looked for and couldn't find it, and then I was going to make it up, and then I'm like, I'm spending way too much time on this. I wanted a cheetah with ankle weights on it. Running on out there with the ankle weights. Ankle weights are great for practice. They're great for exercise. I don't know anybody that has sanity that shows up at a serious race and says, I'm running this thing with weights. I mean, you, you get the lightest clothes you can. You're trying to give yourself every advantage because you want to be as light as possible. The third part of finish line thinking, dump the weights. Dump anything that is keeping you from running the best you can. This cheetah is built to run. No encumbrances. Sleek, go. Nothing holding it back. Hebrews chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down in this race of life. Every weight that slows us down. And then he names one specifically, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. He says that that sin you keep strapping on your legs, whatever it is, you can't run effectively with that strapped on. You've got to peel it off. You've got to give it up. You're saying, but I like it. Well, good for you. You're not going to run well. The race is going to be frustrating. If you want to run the race with a finish line sort of thinking, you've got to strip off the weights. You've got to deal with the junk so that you can be sleek, so that you can run the way God intended for you to run. In Galatians 5. Paul is talking to a group of people who who slid a bit. And he says, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Here's the sad thing. Sometimes we're making great progress in the race. I mean, we're just moving along. And we strap on a weight. And now, now we're not running as well. What are you doing? Get rid of the weight. Run. Run the way God created you. Run with endurance. Run with the weights stripped off. So it's big, big, big picture. Face forward. Dump the weights. And then we have this. If I found this in my backyard, first I wouldn't tell anybody, probably not even my wife. 
I'd run somewhere and I'd say, I think I found me some gold. Woo! And I'd find more and more and more and like a squirrel, I'd pack it away in my basement and have it all nice and hidden. And one day someone that is smarter than me would come and say, what you got there is gold looking rocks. That's nothing. That's fool's gold. That's just junk. It's pretty. And it won't buy you a thing. It's worthless. Tried to find one word or one sentence to describe this one. Let me just give you a whole bunch. A person who runs well has focus, intensity, and discipline. They have a clear sense of what is valuable and what is worthless. They look at this and they go, fool's gold, boom. And they recognize fool's gold in life. They recognize the things that are junk and a waste of time. And they grab onto the things that really matter. Last night sometime during the evening, came upstairs, clicked on the TV, and the movie Miracle was on. I don't know if you are familiar with the movie. I love that movie. The story of the 1980 hockey team that won the Olympics in Lake Placid. It's about the time I'm 17 years old. I was very into hockey at that time. I had been to Lake Placid the summer before. And here we are. We're fighting ultimate evil. evil. We're fighting the Soviet Union. I mean, this whole thing. It was, just, it was a phenomenal moment. And in the movie, you get to learn a little bit about the coach, Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks is a a driven maniac. He eats, sleeps, breathes hockey, and he wants to win, and that's all that matters. So he's putting together an offensive line, and the assistant coach refers to them as the Coneheads. And Herb Brooks goes, huh? What are you talking about? He says, you know, Saturday Night Live, Jane Curtin, Dan Aykroyd. And he goes, huh? This, This is the way finish line thinking people work. They're not, they're not diddling around with the junk of life. They're realizing that some things are important and some things are not, and they are zeroed in. You say, well, they're kind of boring. Hey, you know what? They're going to win the race, and you're not. There it is. They're focused. They run purposely. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's what Paul says. Do you not realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade, but we do it for an eternal prize. Here's the line. So I run with purpose in every step. That's finish line thinking. I run with purpose in every step. I don't have wasted moments. I don't have wasted stuff going on in life. I run with purpose with every step. I'm not just shadow boxing, not just beating the air. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. A person who is finish line thinking strips away the junk, knows what's valuable, knows what's not, and lives purposely, lives life on purpose. So your big picture, facing forward, dumping the weights, running with purpose. Now, as we wrap this up, I, I do want to remind you that while we're talking about the race of life, there are lots of other forms of racing as well. You have other races in your life. Shorter races, sprints, events, meets that are part of the bigger picture. We looked at one this morning. Parenting is one of the races of life. This is us recently on our vacation, and I am getting very close to the finish line with the oldest, uh, the one in yellow next to me, a year away from the finish line, uh, the one below that next to Kim, uh, 
He'll be at our house forever. But um, no, he's, he's great. I've got a parenting race that started at Evanston Hospital, started at, at St. John's in St. Louis, started at Silver Cross. And while they'll always be my kids, there is clearly a day that we say, here's the baton, run, run. How are you doing with your parenting race? How are you doing with your marriage race? You remember that line you said at your wedding? Till death do us part, that's the finish line. Death. How are you doing with that race? Your career race, your friendship races. How about your season of serving? How about students? Hey, some of you are seniors. February, May. Do you know how many students mess this leg of the race up? How many students? Two weeks before graduating from college, I almost got suspended. Not going to go into details, but anyway, almost got suspended. Two weeks. I was there for four years, and I wait till the last two weeks to risk everything. Are you nuts? Run the race to the very end. Run the race with endurance. Paul says this in 2 Timothy. And wouldn't it be great to be able to say this at the end of our race? My life has already been poured out like an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And get this part, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. There isn't just one winner. Anyone who runs the race with endurance in connection with God wins the prize. So run well. Focus on the finish line. Keep your eyes in the right place. Don't get bogged down in the mundane stuff of life and then one day wake up and go, what happened? Where did it go? Run with purpose with every step. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this race is hard. The funny thing is, all races are hard. Nobody's ever run a race and said, oh, that was easy. I'm going to do that 26 miles again. That was, that was a piece of cake. Races are hard. Things that are worth it are hard. And we don't want to undersell that part, God. It takes discipline to run this race well. It takes endurance to run this race well. Focus to run this race well. And you want us to do that. You want us to run with purpose in every step. Some of our friends have had a stark reminder of the finish line this week. But God, don't have us waiting for funerals before we're reminded again of real life, of life beyond this life. Help us to be able to live in a way that we're constantly focused on the finish and that we run the race in a way that pleases you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to participate in communion. Do it every week. It is an opportunity to have a physical reminder straight from God. It was Jesus himself who took bread at a meal and a cup of wine at a meal. He broke the bread. He poured out the wine. And he said, this is a reminder of my body. This is a reminder of my blood. This is an opportunity for you to remember what I did for you. You know what it is? Every, every week we're staring at the finish line. What are we supposed to do? Fix our eyes on Jesus. This is an opportunity to fix your eyes on Jesus. 
with all the junk going on in your head. You know, I, I take a spinning class, and the lady usually begins by saying, all the junk in your head, now leave it in the door. And shouldn't we do that right now? All the junk in your head, leave it at the door. And get your eyes focused on this one thing. Get it focused on Jesus, on your relationship with him, on his love for you. Communion is distributed to you on a tray. Two cups together. The bread is underneath the juice. Pull them apart. Go ahead and take the bread and then the cup. Uh, take it when you're ready. Anyone's allowed to take communion. We, we encourage you to be a person who, who has a relationship with God, but you don't have to be a member of our church in order to participate in communion with us. Now celebrate this moment of staring at the finish line, of thinking about Jesus welcoming you to the end of your life and saying, well done, great run, good and faithful service. Servant, come on in. I'm grateful to you, God, for a, for a work of art that is able in a moment to, to move us from where we are to where you are, to rip away a veil so that we can see heaven, we can see you, we can be lost in your wonder and your majesty. We can know that you're real. You're not just a story in a book, a fable that's been passed down through the generations. You're more real than anything we see. You're the ultimate reality. And we thank you for the connection that we have with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Our servers are going to wait just a moment while you go ahead and get your card out. I need you to do something with it on the back side. If you turn that over, you notice there's a large box, first of all. That you're able to put a prayer request if you have one. I know a lot of us, we're, we're going through difficult times, and we need to know that someone's there to pray with us. So you can write those down. But there's a little box off to the side, and there are two check boxes at the end of that box that we want you to pay special attention to. One is on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to be having our annual meeting over at the warehouse where we had church on Christmas and New Year's. Uh, opportunity to learn about what's going on in the church, financial update, updates on groups, uh, all kinds of things that are going on. What we need to know from you is if you plan to come, and if you do, there's a little line there for you to put the number of people that are coming with you. So check that off. If you're like, well, I'm not sure yet, well, you know, then say not sure. I don't know, but let us know what you're planning on doing. The other box, and I believe it's the bottom box, has to do with something we're doing on Saturday, and that is the delivery of a bunch of our homeless packs down to Chicago. If you could be involved in that, have been wanting to be involved in that, we'll be leaving the warehouse, gathering at the warehouse at about 10, leaving from there, go down, we're going to deliver the, the bags, and then we'll come back, and if you still have the time to do it, we'll grab something to eat together and, and spend some time talking about our experience, um, but that's Saturday morning at 10, so if you're thinking about doing that, planning on doing that, check that off as well. Okay, and now our servers are going to come and collect your card and collect your offering. And while they do, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what we'll be experiencing Tuesday night. This is um, a really important time every year in our church. We don't get a chance on Sunday mornings to talk a lot about the details of what are happening in terms of the life of our church. We don't spend time, and for example, on a Sunday morning, uh, focusing a lot on finances. You know, people don't want to be talking about that on Sunday. They, they want to be talking about the Bible and worshiping God. I have something that I wanted to point out to you every week. At the, on the inside cover your folder down at the bottom, what we try to do is record um, what our projected budget is for the year and then where we are in terms of giving every week. For last week and this week, what we have there is a chance for you to be able to see how you did last year. 
And you remember at the end of the year, we sent an email saying, man, we're so close. We use the term, I believe. We're so close to the finish line. Can we push a little bit and get over the finish line? And if you look at that, you realize that for the year we had projected that we needed $357,000. And by the time you made that last burst over the line, we got to $365,000. So, I mean, that is incredible, an incredible piece of growth in the life of our church. And we want to talk about that Tuesday night and celebrate what you did. Because I'll tell you what, it was a huge increase over where we were a year ago. So you're really proving to be true and, and in on your faithfulness to God and to the church. And we're just, we're incredibly grateful for that. And one of the things that we want to do for you is make you aware of how those funds are being spent. You know, we, we want you to have that. We want that accountability with you so that, so that you can be trusting what we're doing together as a body. And like I said, we'll be talking about other areas of our church's life. You get a chance to check out the warehouse and just have a great time together, spend some time eating together. We're having soups that night and chili and uh, the opportunity to eat. So you don't even have to eat uh, when you get home. Just come on over, eat with us. We'll have a great time together. Make sure before the week is done that you get signed up for a journey group. It's online. We have that right there at the top. I understand tonight's open mic night uh, for the high schoolers at the warehouse. That's going to be pretty cool. While we were singing, I thought, if they have open mic night in heaven, I'm requesting that song. You're leading it. And about... Five billion people are really going to worship. You guys did great this morning. Thanks so much. Let's sing as we leave. Stand up.